never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that has totally learned the hard way. You should always check the room for mimics before you start recording your show. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. Hey, man. Yeah, I don't know. When the table starts laughing at you, you gotta, you know, (laughs) stop that before uh, you do anything else. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So how's your week been? Um, it's been busy. <laughs> what is busy? Yeah, my, uh, busy with work, busy outside of work. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. Like, I don't think it's been that long that we've recorded. But honestly, for me, this week feels like it's lasted about three months long. <laughs> so, well, it's every, just one of those weeks, I guess. <laughs> every day that I woke up, it felt like Thursday. And I was very sad to find out it was not Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm like, oh, sweet, it's Thursday. Nope, it's only Monday. This is dumb. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those weeks for me. Um, nice. Well, anyway, let's not talk about the nonsense. Let's talk about cool stuff. What are we watching and reading, man? Yeah, so um, I had a couple things. Um, I'm trying to decide where to start, but I'll probably go with the most important one first, <laughs> and that is uh, Morbius. I finally watched oh. Morbius, actually. So Okay, and? <laughs> so... This is a movie that obviously has been memed ad nauseum online, and yep. uh, I feel like it's kind of gotten a bad rap because I watched it, and overall, I thought it was pretty good. Like, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Um, the movie is extremely short. Like, it's only an hour and a half, and I know uh, my wife was actually super disappointed with the length of the movie. It's actually a tight hour and a half, too. So, like, there's a lot of stuff within that hour and a half, so... Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like to me, one of my favorite things in superhero cinema in general is when they show superpowers. Like if they show something from comic books and it's just something that leaps off the page and it's something we've never seen in live action before. And that's why, like, there's certain superhero movies I love. Like I love um, Man of Steel because we never really saw a Superman fight in an urban setting in the ways that it was depicted in Man of Steel. And it was just so cool. Oh. That's that's one of the big things I like about uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is because the way they depicted Electro's po- powers actually felt so powerful and actually really unique when you compare them to other super superhero movies. And Morbius, I actually thought they did a lot of cool stuff when it came to the... Uh, echo like the echo location sort of visual effects they were using in the movie as well as some of the like when it shows the close-up when he's like 
hearing like super far away you see the close-up of his ears and all the little like veins and ripples sticking out and it looks really creepy and some of that stuff i just really loved um i don't know this one's weird because i feel like honestly like my general consensus is that i liked it and i feel that a lot of people i feel like a lot of people were talking about this movie like saying it feels like it's from 2005 or like this feels like a pre-MCU superhero movie and after watching this I kind of feel almost like when people say that it's just because the humor isn't the same as a Marvel movie like this movie was much more serious and I feel like I don't know if that's causing the disconnect with people um Mm -hmm. yeah I don't I don't know I don't know if you had, because I know you had to give a spoiler-free review when the movie came out. I didn't know if you had any further comments on this one, Drew. Well, I've only seen this one, the one, I've only seen the movie the one time, and because I'm trying to collect, like, in my collecting habits, you know, when we got up to Endgame, I was like, I have the entire MCU on, (laughs) like, hard copy MCU, and I was like, and I also have all the X-Men, and I have all the Spider-Mans, and, like, so on. I was like, I'm just going to keep collecting because this will be a really cool thing on the shelf to have all of it. Yeah. What bums me out is that they're not they haven't released any of the television shows. So like that's the part that I'm like, well, I have all of it, sort of. Um, but so I haven't had a chance to watch Morbius since I got it home. Um, right. And, you know, from what I from my memory of the film, I just overall just kind of enjoyed the movie. Um, I felt that the ending, the ending to me seemed a little abrupt, but in the grand scheme of things, I also thought the ending, even though abrupt was okay, um, because of the bigger picture. And I keep thinking to myself, oh, you always got to think about the bigger picture. Um, the, I love what you were saying. I like what you're saying about the, uh, detail on his like makeup and all that stuff, because, you know, they were, did some really, I thought some really cool stuff with it. Um, if I had to quibble a little bit about some of the superhero power stuff is that some of the splash page moments when they went CG with the person, yeah. the CG was not up to par, in my opinion, where it could have been. Um, right. You know, that would that, you know, how like it the, looked a little Matrix reloaded level CG. <laughs> uh, but with the dark background, you had to have a trained eye to catch it. So. Well, so I thought I noticed um, the CGI being pretty spotty at the beginning of the film. But then once I was like halfway into it, it didn't even phase me. And I don't know if it just if I just got used to it or what it was. But it's it was something that I felt I got used to while watching the film. But I'm typically the last person to complain about CG. Like I did notice early in the movie that some of the CGI did look a little spotty, but really like. As long as it's passable, you know, like I like the original Mortal sure. Kombat movie, like as long as CGI is passable, that's good enough. <laughs> so. Sometimes that's all you need it to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah, other stuff I've been watching. Um, so overall, I take it you liked it, though. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those things. I think it was like a solid six out of 10, seven out of 10 endeavor. Like it wasn't the greatest thing, but it was much better than the internet would have, you know, led me to think it would be, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, moving on, there was one thing I wanted to mention, which I forgot to send this to you, Drew, but, uh, there's a new anime coming out on Netflix. I actually think it came out today, but it is, uh, 
called Bastard. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for this or any of the hype for this one at all. Uh, no, I have not. Okay. <laughs> so I've talked a lot of, on the show about how I am a, I don't, I don't want to say I'm like a super fan or anything, but I, I am a fan of the uh, manga Berserk. Like, I think it's really awesome. And when like online, when you search for like similar reading material to Berserk, the manga Bastard comes up a lot because it's another dark fantasy series. But from what I gather, Bastard is kind of a more sarcastic, really 80s sort of, yeah, sarcastic, but still badass, like dark, masculine fantasy series. And uh, Netflix is doing uh, anime adaptation of it. And uh, like I said, I think the series comes out today, I want to say. But uh, I watched the trailer the other day and it just looks really awesome and like right up my alley. Um, it's from what I've heard, there's like a ton of just like 80s heavy metal references as well as like Dungeons and Dragons references. And it just looks like a really gory, awesome time. <laughs> so okay. I'm looking forward to watching that. Um, but at the same time, Stranger Things is coming out this weekend as well. <laughs> so it's going to be a tight watching schedule. So, um yeah, other than that, um, I did. I also started watching Star Wars Visions finally, which I mentioned that in our group text, Drew. So I know you already knew that I started yeah. watching this, but <laughs> um, I'm honestly not that far into it because it's one of those things where every time I get a chance to watch it, there's somebody in my household who doesn't want to watch it with me and I end up having to watch something else. So I'm only about four segments in, but um, so far I'm really liking it. Like each segment's obviously super unique. Um, my favorite so far has probably been the duel, which is the very first one, yeah, which is I the, uh, you would say that. <laughs> yeah, it's the super like, kurosawa influenced like black and white just awesome samurai jedi story that's in there and the animation looks really gritty and you can tell that it's like 3d animation made to look 2d but they do a really good job at that style and that one was awesome um i also really liked tatooine rhapsody which is the next one i thought that one was really fun um after that the the third segment was called the twin the twins and that one was really weird and i still don't know what i feel how i feel about <laughs> right. it like artistically it was really cool but looking at it as a star wars short story it's just very very odd because yeah. it definitely pulls the superman 4 effect of having characters breathing while in space and stuff like that um but that one at least visually was awesome uh the fourth segment which i think is called the village bride was cool but to be honest this was the hardest watch for me because to me it felt really slow moving actually like mm -hmm. it takes a while to get into it and i i honestly this one i tried to sit down and watch three or four times and it took me a while to actually get into it and while by the time it gets to the end I think it's really it had some really cool stuff like some really cool action stuff and everything but watching it it just like it was that was the hardest one to get into so uh yeah and that's that's where I'm at with that so I'm about halfway through I'm really looking forward to watching the rest um from what I've watched in Visions, I don't know if you have any comments, Drew. I know you gave kind of your review of the yeah, series I really, a little I while really ago. It. I really liked it a lot, but it, it's so the the bride one, the one you said was hard watch for you. I actually really enjoyed that one. 
Um, and I think it's because I think it's because it felt a lot like a departure, but still had the Star Wars stuff to it. And when I got to the end, I was like, oh, that's really like I was just kind of into it. You know what I mean? But yeah, in that anime way, I was just kind of into it. And I it's funny because you are watching the show that is Star Wars, apparently. But there is um, it really it is also um, anime. Right. So you have to watch it with that anime mentality. And I really feel like that was the most anime of them. Maybe. I don't know. It's because of like how it was, I, you know, I could see that it does have more of a, it did have a really atmospheric, like, I don't want to know if I want to say studio Ghibli, but kind of like, it has that sort of like slow atmospheric method of telling the story. And I guess sure. I did like it overall. I think it was just the slow beginning it was a lot harder to get into as opposed to the other ones that I watched that were just like, get into the action right away. <laughs> but it's also like maybe the fact that I'm trying to watch this series while fighting for the TV remote <laughs> at the behest of the rest of the people who I live with. <laughs> so maybe that factored into it a little bit as well. Yeah. And uh, as you were saying, like kind of from that cool, like star Wars force lore standpoint, like, that one was probably the most interesting um, when you look at it that way out of the the rest of them that I've watched. So, but sure. yeah, I mean, this is a cool series. I'm glad that they're doing more. And um, yeah, I'm excited to watch to finish this one. Um, and yeah, as you can tell, I, I feel like I'm kind of in an anime mood lately, which is pretty fun. But uh, sure. other than that, um, I can't remember. Did we talk about the finale of Obi-Wan? Uh. Yeah, we did, because I was talking about, I, I talked to you about, um, we just, did we? <laughs> I don't know. I've I don't so think many, we've talked about the fa- finale yet. So I've had that's so many, no, I we haven't. I've had so many um, uh, conversations with people about the finale that you and I recorded one day early. No, we did not talk about the yes. finale. Yes, and, and that's um, what's weird is that's that also factors into the, like, this week has felt three months long and it's really weird. That we haven't discussed this yet. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Uh, finale of Obi-Wan. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal episode. Um, the, I loved, so them cutting, I'm going to jump right to this. The lightsaber, yeah, battle, the lightsaber battle with Obi-Wan and Vader, aside from that being astounding, um my kid oh my god dude i was like i yelled for my kid to come watch the, the lightsaber battle <laughs> and he's like no i'm good and i'm like okay whatever you don't want to watch this that's fine and then i catch him watching just the lightsaber duel on his phone in the other room a couple hours later and i'm like you didn't want to watch this on the big screen <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um and he's like, no, but this is amazing. I'm like, you, you're not. <laughs> yeah, no, don't even tell me. Um, no, so he's like that, watching the Sports Center highlights instead of watching the full game. Like, what's know, going it on? Was, here? It was weird. Um, no, he. So he's watching. So that lightsaber battle was amazing. When they cut the helmet, I honestly yes. almost could have predicted that was going to happen from the very get go of the show. Um, okay, and. It's not something new because they did it in Rebels as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really cool when they had to do it in Rebels. 
And the reason I bring that up is because when they did it in Rebels, they had to they met they combined the voices. So it was half James Earl Jones, half Matt Lanter, because he voices the his Matt Lanter voices the animated version of Anakin. And it was a really cool blend when you heard the voices. So when they did it this time, I was like, and there's Hayden Christensen's voice blended with James Earl Jones. It was awesome. It was great. Yeah. Um, and there was some really cool touching moment, like, you know, how Vader was like, no, I killed Anakin and all that stuff. And, you know, that's all that's left is me. Um, that was really cool. Um, the uh, shoot, minor blank. Um, yeah, you talk a <laughs> little bit my, my brain like went off on a rail for a second there so go ahead what you're so, yeah. no i did like that i did like that fight scene i think um especially at the end when when you were saying when they cut through vader's helmet just like imagery wise and how that played out was really really cool um overall like i will say like i am kind of torn on the series because i keep thinking and this was kind of a discussion we had from the very first episode is I keep going back to like, what if Obi-Wan didn't leave Tatooine and it was more of like a series about him fighting off like desert beasts and like Tusken Raiders and stuff and say like covertly saving Luke from a bunch of things. And part of me feels like, what's that? I was just going to say, I think that would get a, would have gotten boring for six episodes. I don't know though. Like, cause I watched a uh, Boba Fett that mostly took place on Tatooine <laughs> and all those parts, like were my, the Tatooine parts were my favorite parts of that show. So I understand what you're saying. It's just part of me wonders if like there's a different version of the series that I would have preferred, but at the same time, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna like let that drag my whole life down and complain about it because I do think when all things were said and done, like we did get like a really satisfying finale, um, even if like the main direction of the show wasn't necessarily what I would have gone with. But again, I'm not working for Lucasfilm. I'm not <laughs> actually putting the show together. So right. that uh, complaint can only go so far. Um, the one thing about the show and this might. I was going to comment on the appearance uh, that we got at the very end, and I didn't know if you want me to go there yet or not. Yeah, I was just get that. Was, that's what for some reason that's where my brain drew a blank. That okay, the very end, and we can honestly just jump right to the very end. Yeah. So I'm gonna. Well, I loved the bits with Luke. I'm just kind of a little surprised that they did that much with Luke. Um, just because I was really kind of like make thinking this is like Leia's spotlight, if you will. And then they had that bit with Luke at the end. I, it, it was good for him to deal with the twins as a whole. I just was a little surprised that we got as much of Luke as we did. Um, but but the ending, um, the big reveal of Qui-Gon Jinn, that is going into this show was the one thing that I wanted from this show. Oh, wow. Okay. Over, like, you could, it didn't, honestly, it didn't matter what they did with the show. That is the one thing that I wanted was the Qui-Gon uh, Force Ghost. Um, nice. The The thing about Qui-Gon's Force Ghost is Qui-Gon's first appearance as a Force Ghost is actually in Attack of the Clones. And almost everybody misses it and forgets that it's there. And it's a single line of dialogue and Yoda hears it and you can he's the only one that hears the line of dialogue and Yoda has a look on his face like, what was that? I'm not 100 percent sure what that was. And then 
you go into the and then timeline wise, you go into the Clone Wars and Obi-Wan during the Mortis trilogy sees Qui-Gon's force ghost, but he's not 100 percent sure what he's seeing or if it's real or what. And then you get to episode three when Yoda tells him about Qui-Gon. And here we are 10 more years later. We got to see Qui-Gon. He's the first force ghost. We knew that for so long. Like, we have to see this. So that was the one thing that I wanted, and I'm really happy we got it. So, Well, yeah, because I, um, I kept seeing people online talking about how George Lucas said Qui-Gon could never appear as a Force ghost and stuff. But, like, admittedly, I haven't watched all of the Clone Wars, but I have watched the Mortis arc. And I, as soon as I saw people complaining about that, I was like, well, it did happen in the Clone Wars. And, well, I mean... Not- I'm going to clarify something. It's not that George said he can't be a Force ghost. The issue was, why did Qui-Gon not disappear like Obi-Wan did? Because when we watched episode, we watched episode, those of us who were, who grew up with the original trilogy, all we knew was when a Jedi dies, they disappear. Mm -hmm. So when we see Qui-Gon die, we're like, why didn't he disappear? And George's response was, well, he can't yet because... That hasn't been explained yet. Like, you'll understand when you go through these movies. And if you pay attention, it's because Qui-Gon's the first. He's got to figure it out, you know. So, and that's why he didn't, that's why he didn't disappear. Right. He hasn't figured it out yet. Um, because he's the only one who figured it out prior to that trilogy. So Yeah, and I feel at the time that episode one came out, I feel like there's George Lucas quotes about, and maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I thought I was reading something about him saying that, like, uh, uh, Obi-Wan and Yoda both kind of were ready for their death and they accepted it and Qui-Gon wasn't and that factored into it but um, that could have just been a time and like that could have been the explanation at the time and that's kind of changed but um, and I, I obviously was paraphrasing earlier where I don't know that Lo- uh, George Lucas said he couldn't appear as a force ghost but I thought I saw people sharing quotes where George Lucas said Qui-Gon never would appear as a force ghost but at the same time again it happened in Clone Wars so I kind of wasn't that much of a doubter when it came to that concept mm-hmm. <laughs> so um it's it's kind of one of those things where I feel like it happened years before and then people are complaining about it happening now <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs> right um but my only quibble with that is and this is another thing that I thought about the series is I keep thinking, like, what if uh, Qui-Gon first communicated to Obi-Wan when he was fighting Vader and he was trapped under all the rocks? And, like, I feel like that could have been a cool thing. And I know they obviously went a different direction and they made, like, Obi-Wan was more inspired by uh, Leia and stuff in that moment. But I just thought that could have been a cool twist on it instead of just getting Qui-Gon kind of shoehorned in at the end is all. But that's, again, like... (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how that's going to play out moving forward. So, yeah, I hear you. Well, overall, I loved the show. I can't wait for more Star Wars TV, basically. So, <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, was that it for your watching and reading? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, do you have anything else? Yeah, I have a bunch. That's okay. why I'm like, we're we're already like really long. <laughs> I have a bunch. So first off, I'm cur- I'm all caught up on Stranger Things for the for the new episodes. Um, nice. I think what we'll do is you and I should actually probably do a full review of the season after we see these final two episodes. Okay, Um, cool. I will say um, 
did I give you my Dungeons and Dragons theory about the show, about them ending it? Like the whole show is one game of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Yeah, I do remember. I've that. been thinking about this a lot more because you said you were curious about my opinion on it after I got caught up. The opinion still holds. And the reason it still holds is because the four boys are the adventuring party. So I don't know if the four boys, I think the four boys in terms of deaths are going to be safe because everybody else I think is an NPC. And if my, if my theory holds, the four boys will survive, but everybody else is expendable and we'll cut back to the four boys playing Dungeons and Dragons and finishing the campaign. Um, it's, and it's, and then right now it's just shaping into a theory. Like it just sounds like a great idea. I could be very wrong. They don't need to end that show that way. I don't actually think they should end that show that way. I just think it would be cool. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard line to walk. Is it would it be a huge letdown or would it be really neat and innovative if they did that? But well, the Duffer I think brothers, the Duffer brothers have said there's going to be a body count coming. Like not, it, we're going to see it's going to get dark and violent, and there's going to be a lot of deaths. So it makes me think, yeah, except for the four boys because they're the adventuring party. That's going to be rough if we're going to start seeing characters taken out. I don't know if well, I'm ready for that. Well, I am. I I'm completely convinced that Steve is going to die by the end of the season. Okay. Uh, and, and this is my, and I'm going to make, this as an actual prediction. Steve dies by the end of the season, which I'm going to be very upset about because I really like Steve's character, but Steve is redeeming himself with Nancy right now. Steve has learned that Dustin completely idolizes him and he didn't realize it. He's always complaining about babysitting, but but he's learning that the kids really like him and they idolize him. And he's kind of a hero to Dustin. Steve has been attacked by Vecna's like bat creatures. Um, but he's got this like festering wound now. Right. And in a line of dialogue in the final episode of part one, he goes, oh, shoot, I just took a whole mouth of that floating dust crap. Yeah. <laughs> he just got, I just took a mouthful of that. I'm like, you're dead. You're dead. You're so dead. <laughs> Good I'm call. Like, there's, there's no way around this. Like, you guys have completely, story-wise, they've completely set up all the stuff for Steve to go. Uh, I am glad they didn't p- play into the trope of him getting wounded and then not admitting to it. But I guess he right. couldn't really do that because he was shirtless. But still, like, right. that's always a trope where it's just like you're always watching a movie and you're like, why don't you tell people that you got bit by a zombie? Like, why are you keeping it hidden? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. All right. So ultimately, that's my big prediction right now. I think it's really cool finding out that Victor Creel is actually... Number one, also Vecna at the same time, like, you know, number one equals Victor Creel equals Vecna, Vecna <laughs> if you will. Um, I thought that was a really cool twist to put it all kind of wrapped together. So it's like this has been going on for much longer than we think. And I saw an Internet, uh, like, article or theory or whatever off of Reddit that um, uh, 11 created the upside down i don't know if she created the upside down so much as what was going on between her and one in the facility opened the rift to the upside down yeah i think that's 
makes more sense. That um, made it just it made more sense to me when I thought about it. I'm like, no, I think she just opened the gate. Like she opened the first gate, you know. Yeah, because I think it's the upside down has always been there. And then Vecna was the one to figure out, or you know, like number one was the one who figured out how to tap into that power, but he couldn't travel back and forth to it. He was just tapping into the yeah. you know, psychic psychic powers or however you want to phrase it is that he could gain by tapping into the uh, the upside down. And uh, no, I agree with you. Eleven would have created that rift there. So, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you're right on the money. I think um, people on the Internet probably just didn't pay close enough attention or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So moving on for right now, um, only murders in the building. Season two has started on Hulu. Um, did you ever watch that show? No, I remember you telling me about it, and it sounded sweet, and then I um, forgot. <laughs> the, first, the first two episodes are out. They're great. Like, literally, you're, what's really cool about this is they waste almost zero time catching you up because you're coming into the season two of a show which technically already has its legs. So you're going in, and you don't need, like, yeah, you want to know where your friends are at, but they left you on a cliffhanger to where you're like, oh, right, that's where my friends are at. Cool. And then you're just in. So there's no like there's not a lot of wasted time catching you up with things. Um, and it's just the first couple episodes were really fun and great. So I nice. just excited to see where the season goes. Um, I watched Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Nice. How is it? Um, this is a not a good movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the first one? I did. Um, okay. <laughs> I actually, oh, ultimately, I thought the first one was fun. It's not the best, but it's fun. It's cool. Um, the second movie suffers from the fact that Sonic lore is really weird. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> the more, like, the more they drive the plot, the more weirder it gets because they have to, like, deal with all the Sonic lore stuff on top of all the real world stuff because he's in the real world. So yeah. it's just, it's just weird. And you got Sonic, you got tails, you got knuckles, Dr. Robotnik's back. And he's like, all his robots like actually look like the robots from the video games. Um, and then the real world stuff is very, I want to say PG, I guess is the best way of looking at it. Best way of wording it. Um, one of the things I noticed was that all of the police officers, law enforcement, FBI agents, whatever, not one of them used a gun. There were no guns. They were okay. all they were all tasers. So Robotnik had guns because he's the villain and, you know, he has missiles and machine guns and all that kind of stuff. But all the hero characters had tasers, um, which I found very kind of eye opening and a weird gun law debate world we live in right now so um yeah i just thought that was interesting um (laughs) but ultimately this is an interesting takeaway that i wasn't really expecting i know i know but it it, it kind of struck me as odd i was like oh that's interesting they're all tasers. yeah no actual guns um but no like the movie is in my opinion more weird than anything because sonic lore is bizarre 
Um, <laughs> so I'll say I've heard nothing but good things about Sonic 2. <laughs> but I think the good things that I've been seeing have been come have been coming from people who are like deeply steeped in Sonic lore, who are just <laughs> loving that they're embracing it. And so maybe that's the disconnect that's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, there there's some points when the like they're they're doing some like I, I don't wanna like really like there's like some temple thing that has to do with some of the Sonic backstory, like like where the characters came from and like their universe and all that stuff. And there's some stuff that I'm like, what is happening now? Why? <laughs> like, we're like, are, okay, this is, a, some of it felt random to me. And I'm like, mm, okay. I, Sonic's, you got to let it go, though. That's the other part. I'm like, what? All right. So. Well, Sonic's like one of those characters where they have like, it's a really, Sonic has a great character design. Like, he has a super unique silhouette. He's a cool character. Like, they've got this hedgehog and he can run really fast and roll really fast. And then they were probably like, now what do, like, it's, it's almost like the setting itself was like an afterthought when you go further into the Sonic game. So maybe that's yeah. why like all this weird lore stuff comes in that doesn't necessarily fit the main character but what are you going to do otherwise you know <laughs> yeah well how about this let's move forward and talk about some news uh, okay a whole bunch of quick hit stuff so i will try and get through those quickly uh, <laughs> absolutely and then we got a couple trailers to discuss so first off let's do a quick hits um armor wars marvel studios armor wars which it's a show that I feel like we forget about a lot because of all the other stuff coming down the pipe. They're yeah. finally going to start filming uh, this fall. So that finally goes in front of the camera. I'm kind of excited because that brings us back to characters that we know. Like, we're going to see Rhodey and War Machine again. You know what I mean? Like, nice. Yeah. We've been doing all this new stuff. Let's do something more familiar. You know, so I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. So finally in front of the camera. Um, Ghostbusters 5. Um, so, or the sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife, whatever, is going to hit theaters December 20th, 20th, 2023. So cool. finally, we have a release date for that. I thought that was cool. I knew yeah. we were getting one, just we got a release date. Um, Taika Waititi wants to do a, would, wants to do a Valkyrie or Korg Disney Plus series after he's done with Thor 4. Um... What do you think about that? <laughs> um, the Korg one sounds incredibly entertaining, but I don't really know what you do with a series focusing on that character. Um, Thank you. The, Thank you. The, <laughs> the Valkyrie one could be pretty cool. Like, I think she's a character you can obviously more organically think of, like, a lot of good adventures to send her on and stuff, but... Out of the two, like, I might prefer, like, just myself, I might prefer the Korg one, but I just don't know how you pull it off. <laughs> but it sounds like a bunch of weird alien characters and stuff hanging out, which could be pretty entertaining, too. So right. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, I agree. I I just don't know. Like, that's the thing. Like, you can say, oh, I want to do a Korg series, but what's the big picture? Um, Because you want it to get to whatever the next, you want it to be the next chapter of the Marvel series. So what's the big picture? And I yeah. feel like I got to back up a little bit because um, I realized I forgot to mention this. And then I saw a new a bit that I flagged for news. Um, okay. I'm still watching Miss um, Marvel. Have you started that at all? No, I still, I still haven't started okay. it. <laughs> That's cool. 
Um, there's definitely, look, when you get to it, you get to it. But there's definitely something bigger going on because in the third episode, there's a big Shang-Chi reference. Oh, cool. Which I almost missed. And it was one of those things where I had to go back. I was like, whoa, wait. Yep, that was a Shang-Chi reference. Um, and it was just a, I just had it flagged as a note for a Easter egg for that show. And then I watched the most recent episode right before we recorded to make sure, just in case you were watching it. Um, the There's an Ant-Man reference um, in, the, uh, in the fourth episode. And I was like, oh, hey, wow, that's interesting. So... There's something, there's obviously something bigger going on. I'm just waiting for like some big cameo or something to hit. So, okay, nice. Um, all right, what else do we have for news? All right, Johnny Depp is rumored to reprise his role as Jack Sparrow with a 3300 um, sorry, $301 million deal. Um, so I have seen this brought forth from the New York Post. I've seen this brought forth from Vanity Fair, and I've seen a lot of internet stuff making it sound like it's a rumor. I am not 100% sure if this is true. It's um, with, with the places you've seen it reported, it seems like it would be true. Yeah, so it's yes. weird that it's in question, but yeah, it's I don't know. It's in question because I feel like it's very quick after all the trial and everything. I just feel like it's very fast. And I'm not, the problem is, is like you have a couple of reports saying this is a thing, but there's also a couple of reports saying rumor that they've offered him this much money for it to come back. Yeah. So that doesn't necessarily mean, so he's reprising his role. He was offered this much money. You see the difference in the art. You see the difference in the headlines there. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> So and like reading the articles, they're so vague because nobody has any actual information. There's no not a hundred percent look. I'm willing to bet you anything we see Johnny Depp back as Captain as Jack Sparrow. I just don't know when and I don't know if these articles are real or not. So take take this one with a grain of salt, in my opinion. I think we're gonna see it. Just I think it's quick. It's also weird because I feel like recently we were talking about uh, Disney was saying they were going to kind of do a soft reboot of the Pirates franchise. Yeah. Um, and if this story is true, it sounds like they're going to change course on that, which I don't know. I mean, I'm up for it either way. I'm just really curious how it's going to play out. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say too much about this one. Yeah. Well, Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick officially joins the Billion Dollar Club. Yes. Nice. Uh, which is awesome. <laughs> this is um, Tom Cruise's first film to reach a billion dollars. Wow. I had um, no idea. Which, yeah, I mean, when you started seeing some of the box office and money coming in for Top Gun, a lot of it was this is a first for Tom Cruise. This is a first for Tom Cruise. Like None of his movies have reached like certain levels of money. Um, uh, it's the So Top Gun Maverick is the 50th film to reach the milestone of a billion dollars. So I just think that's awesome. And it's still, and like I have, I have friends who have gone to see it a second time and they're like, the theater is still packed. Yeah. So I just think it's great that people are like, I got to see this again. I got to see this again. If I had time, I would totally see it again, but it's going to have to, 
it's going to have to wait till I get home viewing, to be honest. And I can't wait to get home so I can watch it over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I've been hearing the same thing that like about people still going to see it multiple times. And uh, yeah, again, like the theater being packed. So it's I it's kind of like I knew it was going to hit a billion dollars, but it's really exciting to hear. And like I wasn't expecting it, but this is totally the movie of the summer. Like I'm I mean, it's like. Thor Love and Thunder, let's see what you got. Like, any other movies coming out, let's see what you got. Because I would be surprised if another movie does better than Top Gun as far as just audience enthusiasm goes. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I got my ticket for Thor, um, but my brain is, like, still in this, like, Top Gun mindset. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just like, well, I got my ticket for Thor. Like, I'm just not, like... (laughs) Like part of me is like not excited to see the movie, to be completely honest. Of course, what's going to be in the seat, but I'm just like, nah, okay. But I got my ticket. (laughs) So, um, all right. Uh, Speaking of Disney, um, Santa Claus, the series is coming to Disney Plus. Have we talked about this before? Maybe. I don't really know. (laughs) I honestly couldn't remember. When I saw this, I was like, wait. I feel like this this came up in a uh, like when the last D23 when they did their announcement of what's coming. But I'm yeah. like, oh, hey, Tim Allen is coming back to play Santa Claus again, but this time as a show and not just the movie. Um, so I guess keep an eye out for Christmas because, <laughs> you know, they're going to have it ready for Christmas. Do you uh, think it's going to be like a Hawkeye sort of thing where it's just going to be a six episode, like short little series to watch around Christmas? Because I think that could be. That actually sounds pretty fun to have it just could, like another Christmas thing to watch around that it, time. It could be cool and I'll probably watch it. I just the Santa Claus three I thought got really weird with the whole Jack Frost stuff. And this <laughs> yeah. is that this is the thing where the lore got weird. So um Yeah, there there's like because there's the Jack there's the Jack Frost stuff, but then there's also like a weird like robot Santa Claus, and I think there's a part in the movie where there's like robot a Santa Claus. Robot Santa Claus was Santa Claus 2, just to clarify. But, but isn't he isn't he involved in the Jack Frost one as well? I you know what? <laughs> maybe maybe it's something that some part of my weird uh, fan fiction headcanon. But I could have sworn I saw a three way fight between all three characters. But either way, the robot you know Santa Claus is a very weird thing in general. <laughs> so. You know what? To all our listeners out there, you bet you didn't think we were going to be arguing about the Santa Claus lore tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, moving on. Um, OK, exclusive. Andrew Garfield officially signs on for future Marvel movies. OK, they are. This is um, a very this comes from uh, giant freaking robot dot com. This is a. I want to buy, I want to believe this. When you read the article, they go into yada, 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 Spider-Man No Way Home um, stuff. And of course they're going to. And I've noticed a lot of articles on the internet will have a headline that catches your attention. You open the article and you have to read through pages or paragraphs of stuff you already know. And then there'll be one and there'll be one line going, yeah, I already know that. Or, yeah, you're late to the game to getting this news out. You know what I mean? Like, put that sentence at the top of the article so I don't have to read through the stuff I already know about. Um, 
anyway, reading through this, it was a lot of information about the fact that they've hinted to doing Secret Wars. And if you're doing Secret Wars, there's a couple different Secret Wars you could end up doing. The original, at this point, they're probably not going to do the original from the 80s. But they could be focusing on the newer one, which deals heavily with the multiverse. And because of yeah. all the stuff with Doctor Strange and WandaVision and uh, the other stuff going on, I just feel like that makes it, and, and Spider-Man No Way Home, it makes complete sense to have that direction. So Andrew Garfield might not be on for, like, Amazing Spider-Man 3, but he might be signing on for future Marvel films because there's crossovers coming. Big ones. So... If this is for real, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but that's, <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. No, I mean, I, I really liked his uh, Spider-Man movies, and I I just think it's cool that No Way Home, I feel like, kind of proved to a lot of people that, like, yeah, Andrew Garfield was a good Spider-Man. So I'm just excited to see more of him. So, yeah, this is really interesting. Well, in terms of seeing more of a person, I don't think that John Krasinski is going to be the Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four film. Interesting. Apparently, <laughs> Kevin Feige cast John Krasinski as Reed Richards because of fan demand. There was that internet, um, like, fan nonsense going on where they were like, he needs to be Mr. Fantastic, he'd be the best Mr. Fantastic or whatever. So, yeah. This is from Kevin Feige. It's so funny that Kevin Feige cast John Krasinski because the fans had a dream of who the perfect Reed Richards would be from director Sam Raimi. And because of this alternate universe, I think Kevin said, let's make that dream come true. I've always really enjoyed his performances. Nice. So it's kind of like this is an alternate universe. So we'll make it John Krasinski just to have the fans go, ooh, look at that. And then we'll <laughs> see the real Mr. Fantastic. Which I'm down with. That's cool. Uh, there is uh, someone on the internet pointed out that when he is revealed in Doctor Strange 2, he teleports in using Doctor Doom's teleportation technology. Ooh, okay. Uh, which I didn't catch. I mean, he does teleport in, but I didn't. My brain didn't go Doctor Doom's teleportation technology. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, that made me kind of excited about that because I ended up rewatching Doctor Strange. And um, it's really kind of cool to watch that sequence. And you're like, yeah, that probably was Doctor Doom stuff because we thought they were teasing uh, Lavertra in Moon Knight with um, Doctor mm -hmm. like country. So, yeah. Um, OK. Indiana Jones 5 might be John Williams last score. Um, okay. says at the moment I'm working on Indiana Jones five with Harrison Ford, who's quite a bit younger than I am. I think, um, I think has announced will be his last film. Um, I thought if Harrison can do it, then I can do it as well. So John, nice. is basically like, if this is Harrison Ford's last Indiana Jones, I'll do one more with him. Um, it's really sad, but I mean, John Williams is getting like way up there in age. Like, he's, like, I believe he's 90 right now. So to get anything extra from him is awesome. So if we're getting one more score out of him, that's great. Um, I wasn't expecting it, but that's awesome. So Yeah, I agree. It's, like, it is it is really sad, but it's also cool that they're doing it right, I guess. Like, this is a, yeah. if this is his last movie to score, it's a perfect movie to go out on. So, yeah, really yeah. cool. Um, okay. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Cal Ketchit. Tetsis, rumored to get a Disney Plus TV series. Um, did you play Jedi Fallen Order? You don't really play video games right now, do you? 
Yeah, no, I, I didn't play this one at all. Well, I played the game. It's a good game. Um, I think there's a lot of fan, like, backing behind the character, which, I mean, he's an okay character. I just, there's, I have trouble with Jedi that exist within a specific time period, because once you get to Luke Skywalker, all those other Jedi don't really matter. So, because of the events of the original trilogy, so it kind of bugs me a little bit when they start putting kind of all their eggs on, like, they kind of start putting their eggs in one basket when it comes to a character, and you're just like, but he doesn't defeat the Sith or Vader or Emperor, and, like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Luke has to be the last of the Jedi come Return of the Jedi. So, <laughs> like, all these other characters, <laughs> like, it's hard for me to, like, buy into him when I'm like, but Luke, once Luke's in, it's like, he has to be the last one, you know? Mm-hmm. That line has weight to it. So anyway, but rumored that they might have a Disney Plus series for the character. I'm down. Like I said, more Star Wars. Um, right on. So um, Lucas, or the actor who plays Lucas in Stranger Things, has been cast as Static Shock. Oh, that's awesome. I, <laughs> I, I know. know like, this, I was just like, so cool. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, yeah, of course he has. <laughs> and that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So DC Static Shock, um, it'll be filming at the end of next year, filmed at the end of next year, expected August slash September of 2024. Um, cool. So Static Shock is coming down the pipe. Is this going to uh, be a movie or a TV show? It's a, I think it's a TV show for HBO. Oh, that's that's great. This is um, I think they should have. I've been thinking they should do something with Static Shock live action for a long time. Like. I feel like especially when you look at the old animated series, like that was such a hit. And it's just kind of like, why hasn't DC and Warner Brothers been doing something with this property? So this is just awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK, uh, Star Wars boss, considering Obi-Wan Kenobi season two, if fans really want more. Oh, that's okay. weird. I have a, it. It is weird. OK, and all right. <laughs> While President Kathleen Kennedy agreed Lucasfilm did not set out to do an Obi-Wan as a did did set out to do Obi-Wan as a limited series, the Star Wars boss said fan demand could expand the series for a season two. But I think if there's a huge engagement and people really want more Obi-Wan, we'll certainly give that consideration because the fans, they speak to us. Okay. I okay. Um okay. Kathleen Kennedy has this thing where she says stuff like this, but then her track record makes it look like she's not listening to fans at all. And (laughs) if she's going to say, we'll make another Obi-Wan show if fans really want more, here's the thing. Do not, Kathleen Kennedy, scoot a little closer to the mic so you can hear me, okay? Do not just make more Obi-Wan for the sake of making more Obi-Wan. That's how you get bad television. That's how you get bad movies. That's how you get Star Wars made by focus groups and PC groups and not going in with a plan. Have a plan. Have a direction. Do it if you have a good story. That is my opinion. I'd love to see more. But don't wreck. Don't break something that's not broken. <laughs> you know? Um I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you're saying, so. <laughs> it's just weird to hear if the fans really want more. Like, don't word it like that, because that makes it sound like you don't have a plan. Sometimes you can't give the fans everything you want. they want. Sometimes you have to give them what they need, but they just don't know 
they don't know they need it, you know? And well, that is yeah, the, exactly like that is the best segue you could have given me because we are about to get a Game <laughs> of Thrones sequel series. Um, because we know what we want and we think we know what we need. Um, Game of Thrones, obviously, we have House of Dragon, a prequel series, which will take place 200 years before the events of the actual Game of Thrones show proper, which will focus on House Targaryen. There is a Game of Thrones sequel series or spinoff series that is coming out that is going to focus on Jon Snow. Kit Harington will be returning. Yeah. Okay. Um, the show is currently titled Snow. Now, before you say that's a bad title, they did say that it is a working title, which means it's most likely going to get changed, which means it's just basically a placeholder for whatever it's going to be titled. I honestly didn't think it was a bad title necessarily. I also agree. <laughs> I also agree. I don't necessarily think it's a bad title. However, yeah. check this out. Okay. The upcoming Jon Snow spinoff was confirmed just a few days ago with Kit Harington returning as the iconic Game of Thrones character. And it looks as though Harrington has his own creative team working on this show. It seems as though Amelia Clark has already mentioned that Snow was Kit's idea in a recent interview. She added... So that part is out. Yes, it was Kit Harrington who brought the idea to us. I can't tell you the names or the writers or showrunners since that has not been cleared for release yet. But Kit brought them to uh, Kit brought them into his own team and they're terrific. OK, um, then George gets in here. George Martin gets in here. Uh, quite who are there remains to be a mystery, but it looks as though Martin himself will be on board. Quote from George, I am involved just as I am with the Hedge Knight and the Sea Snake and the 10,000 ships and all the animated <laughs> shows, he confirmed. Kit's team have visited me here in Santa Fe and worked with me while my own team of brilliant, talented writer consultants to hammer out the show. Martin also confirmed that Snow, along with his other spinoffs, is still in script stage. That means it's unlikely we'll get the show heading into production anytime soon. Um, outlines and treatments have been written and approved. Scripts have been written. Notes have been given. Second and third drafts, which have been written. Um, so far, that's all. Whether or not snow makes it to our screens remains to be seen. Here's all right. Let me break this down for you guys real quick. So Kit Harrington goes, I think we should do a show based on Jon Snow. I want to do Game of Thrones more. Great. Awesome. He brings in his own team of writers, showrunners, directors, everybody. Kit Harrington's bringing in his own people to do this. Apparently, everyone loves what's coming out. Scripts have been written and approved. There's no pilot shot. There are tons of scripts that never make it to pilot stage. There are a ton of pilots that get shot that never actually make it to series. So this is still in very early development, but you apparently, according to all sources, there's a really big team behind this that is moving everything in the right direction. So it looks like this could very well become a thing. The big takeaway I got from this article is, one, yes, we're getting a Game of Thrones sequel, which is cool because if Kit Harrington's coming back, who else could be coming back? you got to think about the time period. So does that mean Sophie Turner and Macy Williams are coming back? We're going to see more of the Stark kids. Does that mean Brandon Stark's coming back? I mean, we don't know what those people are up to. Brandon Stark's probably not up to anything right now because we haven't seen anything since Game of Thrones. So why not get that kid back? Who else is willing to come back and be a part of the Jon Snow show? Absolutely. That, that's interesting. The other big takeaway from this is George said, I am involved just as I am with the Hedge Knight, the Sea Snake, and the 10,000 ships, and of all the animated shows. So, the Hedge Knight is based off of the book, The Hedge Knight by George R. R. Martin, which is, uh, it's kind of like a side story to the whole Game of Thrones thing. It's like a one novel side story. Um, mm -hmm. Really cool book. 
if this is a thing that actually would be really cool, like like a lit like a one season limited series. I think that'd be awesome to like bridge gaps or what? Like you do the Targaryen show and then you do the Hedge Knight and then you watch Game of Thrones because it would all line up properly in terms of like a timeline. The Sea Snake, whatever that is, that sounds cool. The Ten Thousand Ships. If these are all Game of Thrones shows that George is working on, um, this is awesome. I'm totally down. Like I said, this is I've said this before. This is a universe I want more from. This is cool. Um, I don't know if it's all going to hit. And then he says, and all the animated shows, plural, there's animated shows coming. I'm down. What what are they like? You know, (laughs) so just in the big breakdown, I was like, there's a lot to unpack here. But looks like we're getting the House of the House of the Dragon. And then we might be getting a Jon Snow show soon, which is turning Game of Thrones into an MCU level universe, if you will. So, yeah. So George R.R. Uh, R. Martin dropping those names that uh, those show names, I kind of assumed that it was something I assumed those were things that we talked about on the show a long time ago and I just forgot about. But you're right. Like this is we all... did. OK, <laughs> maybe we did. There's a lot. Like, here's the thing. Sometimes like every now and then I'll bring a story to the table. Like, do you remember when we talked about this months ago? Check this out. <laughs> you know? Sometimes it'll be like a year between development and certain things. I know. But um, that's kind of what I assumed. So it is really exciting. I just kind of assumed I wasn't in the know for those things. But hearing this story, what I take away from it is you have Kit Harrington, who's played Jon Snow for eight seasons. I don't, I'm not going to say how many years, cause I don't know how many years he's actually played the character, but it's a big chunk of his life. And for sure, probably the majority of his acting career. And, um, obviously if somebody's going to strong arm this show into existence, I couldn't think of a better person. Cause I'm sure he has a really strong affinity for this character and I'm sure he has a cool direction he wants to take it into. And, I just think of, and this might be a weird parallel, but I think of uh, Deadpool, like the Deadpool movies and how Ryan Reynolds was such a uh, strong arm behind bringing the first Deadpool movie into existence. And I just think it's kind of like maybe a similar situation where you have the actor, the main actor of this, uh, this entertainment entity who is going to be the one to bring it, you know, to be the one to be the sort of, um, I don't know the right word, but the one, the one to kind of will it into actually happening. And I think it's, if we do get this show, it seems like it's a really cool idea. And I'm glad that it's coming from a place of passion as opposed to a place of, like you were just saying with Kathleen Kennedy, it's not just like, Oh, fans want more snow. So we're going to make it. No, this is, Kit Harrington and his team have a story they want to tell and they're passionate about bringing it to us. And that is yes. what I think is really exciting about this. Yes, exactly. So, um, well put because <laughs> Thanks. I, I'm excited. I'm excited for more Game of Thrones. Um, anyway, let's, uh, that's it for the news, man. Oh wait, no, we got two trailers. Yeah. Two trailers, <laughs> real quick. I told you to watch two trailers where we sat down Uh, trailer for the princess. what do you think? It looks like a uh, medieval version of Die Hard. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. thank you. <laughs> There's this movie on, it's going to be a, it's, it looks short. It's like only about an hour and a half in length. Um, it's going to be on Hulu coming in July. It started, the trailer started and I'm like, it, it reminded me of like a uh, Princess Bride level, like, yeah. Movie. And then it goes Die Hard real fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, it just look, this does not look like the best movie out there, but it, it's like Joey King, Dominic Cooper. This looks just like a really fun movie. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like um, medieval yeah. time diehard. It just looks fun. So yeah, it looks great. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, we've talked about this on the show, but I think Joey King is a really good actor, um, especially if you watch her performance in the show, the act like she had an amazing performance in that show. So it kind of makes sense that she's getting a lot of work nowadays. But yeah, this this show looks like Die Hard set in a castle and it looks really fun. And it's one of those things where I was watching the show and you notice there's not a lot of costume change. Or sorry, I was watching the trailer, and you know, there, notice there's not a lot of costume changes for the characters. And I was like, are we just seeing like the first half an hour of the movie, and then it's going to go off onto something else? But then I realized, no, this is a mid- medieval diehard. I think this whole thing probably takes place over like a day or two, and all the characters are in the same clothes throughout. So it just looks yeah. really fun and kind of really funny too. So. Yeah. Now, the other trailer I told you to watch is The Invitation. Yes. What do you think of this? Natalie Emanuel, I think, is the only named character that I rec- actor that I recognized. But go ahead. I don't necessarily know what to think of this one. Um, what was that movie? We talked about a movie recently that was kind of about a weird, like, um, retreat, like, kind of this weird, like... Uh, culinary vacation for couples and then it turned into a weird cannibal cult sort of situation was it the menu yeah the menu so the invitation gave me really similar vibes as the menu but kind of in a different direction because it obviously involves (laughs) what at least appears to be vampirism but yeah uh this movie looks really intense. It looks really dark and fun, and uh, it looks like there's going to be a ton of twists. It also just overall looks really good, to be honest. So I don't know what your thoughts are on this thing. <laughs> my my thoughts are I was I I the description for some reason was I when I saw the trailer I'm like what's this and I'm like this looks like a vampire movie wait and then I watched <laughs> the full and then I watched the full trailer. It was like a weird like little like thumbnail description i'm like this looks like a a vampire movie all right so i watched the trailer and i'm like this looks fun and i really like vampire stuff i think vampire movies and lore is really really cool and interesting um so i'm totally in um it's nice to see natalie emmanuel again since we've seen her in game of thrones um Mm -hmm. yeah she's in the fast movies but you know i just got used to her as a actress uh from game of thrones so i don't know this just looks cool i don't there's not a lot to say about it right now because just watching the trailer i'm like i'll definitely watch this movie this looks like fresh and new and original and yeah let's watch it you know (laughs) um it's kind of funny too because there's actually a independent horror movie called the invitation that came out like five or six years ago but it's kind of funny because that movie is about a um, it's kind of one of those things where it's a group of like college friends or a group of old friends who meet up again at somebody's house and they have a dinner. But basically, everybody doesn't know that they're being invited into a cult. <laughs> and that's what the that's what the reason for the uh, friendly dinner was, um, you know, originally. And mm-hmm. it's kind of funny that this movie looks really similar, but kind of about vampires. But I think that's a fun take of like, instead of just your straight up typical vampire story, this is like unknowingly being seduced into like a weird vampire cult almost. And it looked really, uh, really interesting. So, yeah. 
Well, just look, I'm probably going to watch both. They sound cool. <laughs> so um, I'm in. But right I've talked enough about that stuff. Let's talk about our list, shall we? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, great. Um, all right, it is list time. So you guys know what we're doing, and we're going to roll the thing. Top five. All right, Peter. So what's up? <laughs> this was your this was your list idea. So why don't you uh, remind us what we're talking about this week? Yeah. So I kind of wanted to do a video game list. Um, we haven't done one of those in a while, and I kind of wanted to cover like more of a obscure video game aspect. So I thought it would just be fun to talk about. Uh, video game music and like kind of our favorite video game soundtracks if you will and uh, I kind of wanted to leave it at that I kind of wanted this to be pretty broad because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of different directions you can go with when it comes to are you talking about like old school like 8-bit video game soundtracks or are you talking about newer video games that involve more of a proper like film style score to them or are you talking about a collection of songs I kind of wanted to just leave it open and see where we were going to go with this, but I think it's going to be a pretty fun list to go through. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I found this list actually kind of difficult to put together. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah. The, um, yeah, I found this difficult because I really, so there's some eight bit stuff that I think is really great. But I'm also the guy who I really like instrumental music, and there are several video game soundtracks that I have, like, downloaded specifically so I could listen to in the car and drive yeah. around and, like, think I'm cool. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, like, that's really... <laughs> there's certain I feel like songs. that's the purpose of... Yeah. <laughs> there's certain theme songs you're just like, yeah, and you get in the car and you, like, makes you drive a little faster. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Well, no, I, I was just going to say, I feel like that's the purpose of like 90% of the music that people listen to is to drive around and feel cool. And it was just a funny, like, really <laughs> honest, but really true thing you said right, right. there. So. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I found it honestly a little like, I found it difficult to keep up with this, uh, to do this list, to be completely honest. So, um I have uh, one honorable mention because I had trouble coming up with a couple more, but uh, okay for a, for a second. So that's where I'm at with it. I have just the one. Um, so you're gonna have to go first, unfortunately, if we want to stay on track. <laughs> I do have two honorable mentions. I'm surprised you knew that actually, but maybe you were just tapping into the upside down there. I'm not sure. You but, um... always have two honorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> Not always. When we did our top five shark attack movies, I only had five. So, um, but no, okay. My first one, what do I want to start with? I'll start with this one. Cause it's really just one song. Um, and that's kind of, my honorable mentions kind of follow that trope where it's not like a full soundtrack. It's really just one song that I think is oh. iconic and really good. But I went with Tetris, like the original Tetris theme song, I think is really, I feel like that's the whole album. Well, that's why it's an honorable mention, but it's still like a video oh, okay. game that I do go to for music. Like I do love listening to that song. It's incredibly catchy. It's it is really iconic and it really like 
in my opinion, perfectly fits the game, which is really cool too. So sure. um, I do in within like the world of art and entertainment, like simplicity is something that I value a lot. So I feel like some of my picks are going to be a little simpler than Drew's might be, but that's just kind of a direction I like. So uh, yeah, that's my first one is Tetris. So um, yeah. So, all right. So my first, my first and only honorable mention is the Mario brothers theme. Um, nice. The classic Mario brothers theme is my, my pick. This is um, it's, it's iconic. But I also felt it was kind of cliche and I can't say it's one of my favorites, but it's one of those (laughs) things where it's one of those things where, you know, it, you know, when you hear it, when you hear someone's phone go off and that's the ringtone, you're like, who's got the Mario Brothers ringtone? Um, You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, there's some really cool like it's just it's just a really cool, simple eight bit song. So, yeah, I think it is. I, I agree with everything you say. It is iconic. I do get the cr- the cliche criticism, but at the same time, every time you hear it, part of you still gets amped up, no matter how many times you've heard that song. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so moving okay. into uh, my next honorable mention, I will go with uh, the game Portal, actually, which I didn't play Portal a ton besides like messing around with it a couple times, like at different people's houses. But and that's Portal kind of game. Yeah, it is. And I, like that's kind of why it makes my honorable mention is I wasn't I didn't play this game a lot, but. I know the cake is a lie. Like I can sing along to that song and it's so good. Are you talking about the one song, the cake, the lie? (laughs) Well, that's again, it's my honorable mentions, but still like, it's one of those things that like for kind of an obscure video game, I feel like this song permeated the collective subconscious so much. And I think that's really impressive. So um, yes, my honorable mentions are more singular songs, but I think they're that good. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why yes, I went stay, with those. I mean, so. Stay Alive is the name of the song from Portal. Oh yeah, 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 you're right. That's the actual name. Um, they're yeah, still, okay. still alive, right? I, you know, it's funny because when you said the Portal portal i was like yeah what a great game and while you're talking i'm like i don't remember music in portal (laughs) (laughs) um portal is very uh because of what the game is like i'm like i don't remember music but i could be wrong because i was so focused on the puzzles that you have to do in the game Mm -hmm. um by the way if you've never played portal you should stop everything you're doing and go play portal it'll take you five hours to beat so yeah it's a it's a five hour sit and you're done um but it's amazing um but yeah anyway no the cake cake is a liar stay alive that's it's such a wonderful song and it's so great yeah it's one of those cool like it sounds very joyful almost but there's it has super dark lyrics which are really fun too so super dark lyrics as long as you paid attention and did your proper exploring in the game (laughs) (laughs) um all right so speaking of super dark um, my first actual pick is the Doom Eternal soundtrack. Nice. This so, actually made my short list. The whole soundtrack. Um, this is here's the thing. Doom has this really great thing of using like rock music with no lyrics, like heavy metal, like death metal type rock music, where it's yeah. just bars and drums just doing their thing. And it it's just really fast paced, really amped up, like and I love it. I think it's great. Um, 
and it's one of those things where you're walking through the game, you're in a couple areas where you're not fighting anybody, and then you turn the corner, and it's this really big battle, and you just hear the like the death metal music playing, and it's just it just amps you up. It's the Doom Eternal soundtrack. It's like everything moves faster because of that music, and it really sets the tone. <laughs> no, I I love the Doom Eternal soundtrack. I, I wish I could get a copy of it, and I'm looking and looking, but it's like some weird contractual thing with Bethesda. They haven't released the the soundtrack yet, so. I feel like it's on. I feel like I've seen it on streaming services before, but I might be wrong. Um, well, there's the there's the other Doom ones are out, but the Doom Eternal ones not. Oh, specifically Doom Eternal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess. Um. Yeah, I'll just comment. Like, I do love Doom. Has like a really cool. Like, it has such cool dark, uh, imagery and stuff, and it really pairs well with that sort of mixture between. Yeah, like metal and industrial and just like your typical video game suspense music that works really well. So this isn't one that I've listened to a lot without playing, but I've always appreciated that about the Doom soundtracks. You know what I mean? The other thing I'll say about it is because of when you say industrial, I like that you use that word because there's a thing about it that makes. That makes it feel um, futuristic, if you will. Like, it almost feels timeless because it makes you feel like it's not of this world in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that I think that really, really helps when you listen to something like that, when it has to deal with, like, the space and the future part of it. But anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Good call. All right. So what's your first actual pick? So my first actual pick, I think, is a total cheat. <laughs> I'm going to go with the complete game series. And you've actually already mentioned it, Drew, and that is uh, Mario. Yeah. And like you said, that original Mario theme song from the first game, so iconic. It is really simple. Like, it's 8-bit music, so you know it's going to be simple. But it is so iconic. And like I said, it gets you amped up. And as cliche as this is as a pick... When I was thinking about my list, I was just thinking about all the different Mario games and how going through the years, like I feel like Mario music is always really catchy and really good. But not only that, I feel like it's typically pretty iconic in that really infectious sort of way. Like even if you look at like if you look at like Wii, like Mario Kart, for example, I feel like. The songs, just like the menu songs and stuff you experience in Mario Kart from the Wii is just like something like super infectious that you're going to remember for years. And it's one of those things that like I think Nintendo and Mario have done such a good job with their music in those games. And because it's such a popular game, I think it's kind of overlooked, but I just think over the years... It was kind of like I couldn't think of many games that had better music overall, even though I know this is a really popular pick, but it just had to make my list for all the reasons yeah. that I just said. So, yeah, I get you. Um, all right. Uh, my next one is The Legend of Zelda. Uh, <laughs> very specifically, the main theme. Um a lot of the Zelda games, like I've played several of them and a lot of them have really great music, but that main theme screams adventure yes and it just it you're just like it's the thing like you leave the cave or you leave the hut and the theme starts starts playing and you're like yeah let's go let's do it let's go fight the bad guys rescue the princess let's you know like <laughs> it just screams let's go have an adventure and i love it um and it's it's one of those things like i hear it from across the room and i'm like i who's got the legend of zelda ringtone you know what i mean like absolutely uh, 
So yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I don't know if we matched, but yeah, Legend of Zelda. So no, no, we matched on this one, okay. and I really was thinking of that main theme. Um, I think if I had to pick a specific game, I would either go with the uh, the original for the NES or um, a Link to the Past. I like that game's music a lot because it's you know it's 16 bit and it's just that much more uh, immersive and has that much more variety. But it really is that original Zelda theme that. You said it better. You said it as good as it could. You could say it. It screams adventure. Like you hear it, and you just want to go on that Dude, sort of medieval. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> you want to go on that swashbuckling adventure through the woods and fight monsters and stuff. And it's kind of crazy that it starts out as this really simple chip tune sort of song that they were able to. It's cool that it like as you watch the different games, it actually translates from being a really simple eight bit song to being like later on, they can play it as an orchestra and stuff and it still works and it still gives that spirit of adventure. And if you're just talking about video game theme songs on their own, I think legend of Zelda definitely has one of the best of all time. Like you can't argue with it, you know? Right. Well, let's now the, the rest of my picks for the night are full series. Okay. Nice. Okay. So, um, cause that was, it's, it's full series. Um, and the next one on my list is Halo. Okay. Um, hey, the music in Halo, it's full orchestra. Um, Marty O'Donnell, uh, composer. Um, this is one where you have like a, a real composer tackling this wanting, understanding that the game itself is a cinematic experience. So the score itself should be treated like a cinematic experience. The scores in these games are gorgeous not just in the sense with that uh, that theme gives you that military sense of adventure, but you have these crazy epic music for the fight scenes, but then you have these nice somber pieces for these down moments in the game. And then you have the creepy stuff like for like some of the creepier um, horror elements of the game. Um, it's just a really nice, beautiful score to flow through. Um, I love it. And, you know, as a series as a whole, the music has never let me down. Um, whether, you know, you can say what you want. Like, you know, oh, I liked all like I liked the first three games. The fourth one wasn't the best. Fifth was OK. You know, when people do that kind of thing, that's fine. But you'll never hear anyone complain about the music because the music <laughs> of the Halo games are phenomenal. So absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I've heard the same thing said about like Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and I absolutely agree with the Halo comparison. We actually match for this one, okay. but I would specifically go with the first Halo game. But that's also just because that's kind of the one that I listen to the most. But um, sure. no, I think Halo, it is such a good soundtrack. I think when the first Halo game came out, I think this was a little bit of a game changer because I think people realized like, oh no, games can have like that proper movie level score to them. And I think, I don't know, I always think about Halo and how I might be kind of, this might be hearsay, but I always felt like Halo is kind of one of those games where they had to make something to show like what all Xbox could do. And I always think about like Halo probably didn't have to be as good as it was, but it just like, I feel like they put their all into 
the world and the scope of the game and the multiplayer and then even the music. And it just became this really iconic cultural touchstone. And I just think the soundtrack for this game is awesome. And like you said, there's some of the darker and some of the more suspenseful parts are really cool. And there even are parts where they mix more of those rock elements in a little bit kind of similar to doom but a lot more subtle but um no this is great and this is another one where when you load up the original halo and you hear that gregorian chant behind like the main menu screen i think it's the main menu menu or is it the start screen um but it's just Uh, one uh, of those it's just one of those iconic it's one of those iconic sounds that when you hear it you know it instantly and there's it's just awesome so yeah, this is a great pick, and obviously we match. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right on. I figured we would. I figured we were gonna match on at least Legend of Zelda and Halo for sure. And, and uh, this is one that I thought. I honestly thought this was gonna be like a final pick one, but uh, no. Yeah, what do you got next? <laughs> oh, like my final pick one. I thought this was gonna be both of our final picks. So, oh, but yeah, keep going. I got you. Well, because I'm going first, I kind of forced you into having it so early. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Um, all good. It's all good. So the next one on my list is Final Fantasy. Um, And I'm going to rope, and this is kind of a little bit of a cheat. I'm roping in Kingdom Hearts with it because of the correlation of the, of if you played Kingdom Hearts, you understand that, like, it's basically Final Fantasy in the world of Disney. But this is like Legend of Zelda. It screams adventure. But Final Fantasy... The series is so each game is its own thing. So whether you're playing Final Fantasy 7, 12, 14, 15, 3, 6, and you don't have to play them in this proper order because they don't link to each other. There's a couple of them that do, but for the most part, they're all their own thing. So you can just play. And because of that, each game has its own... uh, feel to it and its own design to it and its own like behind the scenes meaning to it. So when you hear these scores, they're meant for a certain tone and aspect and story. Um, the scores for the final fantasy series are really, really cool in the sense of just like a stat, like it's the orchestral instrumental um, thing, just like a cinematic scope. Um, I have several of the final fantasy soundtracks um that i like have in my car just so i can like listen to if i want to they're not cheap and they're hard to find to be completely honest but um final fantasy as a whole like those the music is awesome to just kind of it's even as an ambiance kind of a thing just to have in the background you know i've had i've had it on in the house before just to like for background noise and i've gotten to the question what are we listening to you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah and it's like oh it's just final fantasy soundtrack because it's just you know i can just have it on for background noise but um but yeah so that's my pick for the yeah i I think this is a great pick i think when you go into um especially when you go into the older like turn-based rpg final fantasy games like i think that style of you know the turn-based rpg style of gaming i kind of feel like writing music for that has to be like a really intricate art to pull off because you have to you have to have a bunch of different songs for different moments of the story. Like you have to have something that sounds jovial and then parts that sound really pensive and maybe parts that sound heartwarming. And then you have your darker parts and more suspenseful. But when it comes to like, if you're in a JRPG and you're in like a certain village or something, you could be in that village 
for like hours <laughs> but like you have to have the yeah. music that sounds like it has to evoke an emotion and it has to be repetitive because of the nature of it like it has to repeat a lot but it also has yeah. to not get old and kind of stay fresh and i think that's an interesting art to uh think about but um out of these games like the ones that i've played the most is like the original final fantasy 7 a little bit um which i remember the music being cool in that but i don't remember it too too deeply but then also just the kingdom hearts games um you know kind of changing from like that turn-based gameplay to more of a hack and slash game yeah. as well as incorporating like all the disney elements like there's a really cool intricate uh amalgamation of all that there so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah final no, fantasy I, I, i'm totally <laughs> yeah. with you but it was some some of the stuff you said is i have to carry over to my next pick to close it out so oh cool ahead. yeah okay so i'm probably gonna change the uh change the vibe of this a lot but the next one i wanted to go with is scott pilgrim versus the world the game um and if no, people don't remember this this was the sort of beat em up arcade style game that came out um right around when the movie scott pilgrim versus the world came out and it was one of those things that you could it's download it's a side scroller double dragon kind of a game Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And it's, I, ha it's, I have it on my Xbox. It's awesome. <laughs> nice. Well, I was going to say it's one of those things that you can download on your Xbox and play. And it's a really, really fun thing to do when you're having like a little party with friends is to just plug that game in and have kind of a fun retro arcade experience set in the world of uh, Scott Pilgrim. But this one really made my list because the music was done by Anamanaguchi, who's like a really awesome um you know, video game music band. Um, and it has that old like eight bit sort of chiptune style. That's like super catchy. But this one I had to pick because out of like a lot of video game soundtracks, this is one that I revisit a lot. And it's just from being a fan of Anamanaguchi and, uh, getting into their music and just kind of wanting to go back to this one a lot. And, uh, it's one of those things like, all the songs from this are super catchy and really fun. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have yeah. too much else to say about it, but <laughs> um, I remember the music going, thinking to myself, Oh, that's clever. And then I was more focused on the game. So I don't <laughs> right remember on. the music as well as I could. <laughs> right on. <laughs> no, I, I know what type of music it is. So it's like, yeah, it, it, it just lends really well to that specific type of game as opposed to the IP that it's attached to. So, yeah. Um, all right, so my final one for the night is um, the Elder Scrolls series. Oh, nice. Um, I am at a point where when it comes to my video gaming, Elder Scrolls Online is, like, almost the only game I play anymore. Like, it's almost like, why do I have all these other games? Because it's, like, that's the game I play. <laughs> but the series as a whole, you were talking about how with Final Fantasy or, like, RPG games, if you're going to go into a town, you might be in that town for hours. If you're going to go do cave exploring, you might be in that cave for hours. Yeah. You have to write music for specific moments and themes and that kind of thing. Um, the Elder Scrolls games, you go into a town and the music just fits so perfectly. And it's not just for that town. It's you go into the next town and it's a new piece of music because yeah. music is designed for that area of the world you're in. 
or you're in a cave and the music is specifically designed for that area of the world you're in or that encounters you're going to have. It's absolutely gorgeous and kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Um, the Elder Scrolls has several games. There are several, like there's lots and lots of music for it. But it is some really cool stuff. It's stuff I've used um, in the background. The Elder Scrolls series, um, because unless you're really steeped in the lore and play the games as heavily as I do, you might not pick up the music as to where it came from. And I've used Elder Scrolls music for ambiance within D&D campaigns that I've ran just for background, like just to set the mood for certain scenes that had songs play. And I pulled them from the Elder Scrolls because most of the, my players would not necessarily know it, but it's to get that tone and ambiance across. Um, the other thing is the theme song to Elder Scrolls. It is, it is the theme for every Elder Scrolls game. But when you go back to it, it's, it screams adventure the way the Legend of Zelda one does. It's a little more of a darker tone and that fanfare kind of a sense that something like, yeah, I'm going on an adventure and it's going to be awesome. As opposed to the, give me the sword, let's go kill stuff. You know, <laughs> <laughs> let's go rescue the princess. Let's do it. Um, Very that, specific emotions that you need music that perfectly accompanies both sides of the coin. It is. <laughs> right like there. The Legend of Zelda is like, here we go, adventure time. Mm -hmm. Here's your sword, here's your seal, got to rescue the princess, kill the bad guy. Where Elder Scrolls is like, it's a fanfare type theme. You get that sense of we're going on an adventure and it's going to be awesome. Here we go. But there's a bigger story here. Like, right. Like, you know, really in depth. This is going to be this is here we go. This is going to be a thing. Um, it's something and that and I don't know if the music's this way, but I'm assuming it's like something that feels like it keeps building to something bigger. Um, and it might not be that way, but it's like. I'm assuming it's like one of those things where it feels like that at least, which is kind of a cool aspect yeah. to it. I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's like the music has to tell the story as much as the game has to tell the story. Yeah. It's, I The reason I want to talk about this at the end for all the reasons I just did it's, and it's carried not just for me liking the music from playing the game, but using it in other aspects. Like when I play Dungeons and Dragons, for example, and using it for those games too. Um, it's something I can carry off with that. So that's why I want, that's why I saved it to the end for me talking about, like, instead of putting Halo at the end, this is why Elder Scrolls, you know, hit the Nice. End. That's awesome. So that being said, what are we ending on tonight, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I feel like, I feel like, like you laughed. And it's Earthworm Jim. Here we go. <laughs> no, I mean, it's kind of funny you're playing it out like that, but I think we had a really fun and kind of insightful discussion about like instrumental mu music and, uh, I think my last pick is kind of funny looking at that because I actually went with uh, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I had to have one on my list that was just more of a collection of songs. And when it comes to like there's other games, there's like Guitar Hero or Rock Band or like stuff like Brutal Legend and stuff. And like the the songs in those games are awesome. But I think Tony Hawk's Pro Skater for me is a game that hit at a time when I was young and I was into skateboarding and aggressive inline skating and extreme sports. And I was into it was also at the same time I was kind of getting into video games, you know, like we just got a PlayStation. So I had to get Tony Hawk, but I was also playing, you know, Spyro and uh, Marvel versus yeah. Capcom or whatever else. But it was also at a time that I was getting into music. And I think Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, like 
a lot of the bands that I still live to listen to this to this day are bands that could fit in on a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtrack, whether it be random alternative or punk or metal bands and stuff. And it's a game that I still love to play this game. And I always think I think each game has like a really fun, diverse group of bands they picked and stuff. And it's I'm going to be like, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater fanboy for the rest of my life. <laughs> And this, the soundtracks, especially the first two games, those are probably my favorite. But I think throughout the game had really good soundtracks. And I think it's just, uh, yeah, I love it. So I just ha- it had to make my list again. I, I thought Halo was going to be the one I went out with, but I definitely had to mention this game uh, for the context of this list. So there yeah. you go. Right on. Well, um and I, I know the type of music it was. I just don't remember a lot of the songs that were in the game. So I'm just totally with you. But what I think <laughs> of, but it was funny because I one of the games that I thought of when I was putting one of the games in my shortlist just because was SSX Tricky, um, which is so nice, which is snowboarding, which is another soundtrack kind of like that. But then you do like that cool move and then it starts playing Tricky and you're you know, <laughs> by so Run maybe, DMC or whatever. Yeah, right, <laughs> just that's the song that I was focused on as opposed to all the other ones. Yeah, and so. and I kind of laugh too because you said you you remember the style of music on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, but not necessarily all the song selection. And I kind of laugh because I remember getting the first PlayStation and it coming with a demo disc, and there was a demo of Tony Hawk on there. But the only song that played during the demo was Superman by Goldfinger, oh, and right. that song is forever associated with Tony Hawk. And it's just amazing because I feel like that song's lived on in so many people's memories because they listened to it a thousand times while playing that demo of the warehouse from Tony Hawk one. So I don't know, just really fun stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right on. All right. So next week, it's my pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope this doesn't make you struggle at all, but I was thinking about this. Um, it's, it's one that I thought of, I'm like, Ooh, that's interesting. We've never discussed this and I'm totally expecting to match on probably at least two. Okay. Um, but we're going to talk about films shot in black and white. Oh, fun. Okay. Okay. Um, there's a lot of them out there. This could be this a lot. A good chunk of these could end up being classics, like old school classics. Some of them could be newer because some filmmakers have used black and white to shoot some stuff. So um, it's just something we've never discussed before. And uh, black and white films can lend to showing you different lighting techniques. Um, it shows you. It, sometimes it can show you tone. Sometimes you can use it to hide gore and violence. Um, so shooting something in black and white can be used for specific reasons as opposed to just doing it black and white. So I thought it'd be a really cool conversation just to see what we end up coming up with. So the only rule to the list is it has to be in black and white. Well, your description right there has already got my uh, wheels turning. And I think this is going to be a really fun list. And I think it's one that, uh, is going to have a lot of variety to it as well, which is going to be super fun. So good call. Yeah. All right. So, you ready to put this episode in the can? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay, everybody, do us a favor. Uh, check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Social media, either way works. Um, we are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. 
you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you'll not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre. And that's where I'll be revealing where you can see Wilson's cameo in Dead or Alive Volleyball. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, all right. Well, um, yeah, I don't really have a lot of words after that. Um, (laughs) All right, everybody. For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.